Hey everyone, welcome to episode 145 of the Enfocus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Andrew Brown. Today's episode, it's about time, and there is never enough time. <laughs> uh, and no Tori this week, unfortunately. Uh, she's ill at the moment, so hopefully she'll be back next week. Uh, so we have no updates from the previous episode. We have no Switch news, so we're just going to chat about the things we've played this last week. So uh, yeah, let's get on with that. Okay, Andrew, we're going to start with you. You've been playing uh, Alchemist Simulator. Yeah, and I got a code for this directly from the developer publisher, so thank you to them for that. And I was drawn to Alchemist Simulator just for the absurdity of its concept, because you can't simulate magic. Magic doesn't exist. So <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to play it just to see what was up. And it had a, a fun trailer that used the Hall of the Mountain King. I'm I'm a sucker for that song. And it had a, a cool, you know, cartoony art style to it. Whereas a lot of these other simulator games out there they use a lot of off the shelf asset packs that you can buy for ninety nine cents on Steam. So uh, I just thought it it looked like a, a fun project. And I did enjoy the game, even though it's really more of a puzzle game than a simulator. Uh, you play as the grandson of an alchemist, and you moved into his alchemy shop, and he was supposed to teach you how to do all the stuff, but he ended up going off on a quest around the world, and you have to teach all the stuff yourself, mostly through a correspondence course. So once a day, you can go down to the front door where there's a mailbox, and you can accept a lesson or a quest from the mailbox, and that'll either teach you how to make a new kind of potion, or it will task you with making a bunch of different potions, depending upon the type of quest that you accept. How the game works is you have to buy ingredients from this giant grandmotherly rat that lives in your in your potion shop, and she's she's got like a robe on and she's wearing like grandmother glasses she's kind of a funny looking character um but it's not just enough to buy the ingredients because it's not really the ingredients that you're interested in like you can buy coal you can buy fish you can buy a bug you can buy a death cat mushroom but that is not really what you're looking for what you're actually looking for is the elements that are inside of the ingredients that's what you're trying to make potions out of like you can buy coal and it has like a cure element and a fire element inside of it and that's what you're trying to get at uh, but you need to cut out all of the elements that you don't want in it in order to craft your potion and you do that with your tools like you have a cutting board that you can use to cut out one type of element but you can only use it once and that's where the puzzle element comes in because you have to find out how to reduce your ingredient to that one element you need it to be and then drop it into the cauldron. Once you've dropped everything in the cauldron, then you can brew up your potion. And the other tools that you have, there's a, uh, a mortar and a pestle and there's a drying rack. And there's this big poster in front of your workspace that shows how everything works because everything is laid out uh, on a bunch of different scales. There's like a life and death scale, there's an order and chaos scale, there's a, a fire and ice scale, and depending upon the tool you use with your mortar and pestle or your drying rack, you can shift the element up or down on that scale. So 
the puzzle comes in where I have to cut something out of the ingredient and then I have to shift it up and down the scale using the other tools to get it to be the element that I need it to be in order to craft the potion. And that's really the entire game. There are other tools you unlock as you accumulate fame, which is one of the one of the things you earn for completing contracts, but I never actually had to use those tools. Uh, it seems like those are there so you can brute force solutions more, but as I grew to understand the mechanics of my initial three tools, I found I didn't really have to use those. And it, it seemed like that was just a more direct route. It's slightly faster, but it also costs quite a bit more. So uh, I almost never used the tools that I unlocked unless I was really stuck on a solution. There is a, some gold, and I think this is the simulator part of the experience, and this is where the game is kind of let down on itself. You do have to use gold to buy ingredients, and at the start, when I was still learning how things worked, I did end up spending all my gold, and I couldn't buy anything more. And you can go to sleep, and each day lasts about seven minutes. But you can go to sleep, and that'll give you a, just a tiny amount of gold, but it's such a minuscule amount. I didn't want to just waste a week just immediately going to sleep so I could have enough gold to buy one ingredient that I needed, and you usually need to buy two or three things to make most potions. So I just I just started a new game at that point and tried to be a little more efficient. But there is a restart day option, so you can just, like, I use that a lot when I uh, messed up on my recipe or I didn't, didn't act as efficiently as I wanted to. I would restart the day so I could spend less gold than I ended up spending. Once I got into things and I really learned how things worked. I always had more gold than I needed, but it was kind of rough going at the start and I was a little... That was the the biggest obstacle I ran into was not bankrupting myself, just experimenting, trying to figure out how to get the elements that I needed out of my ingredients. As for how the game works on the console, because this is a, a fairly direct port from the PC, the interface is the worst part. Uh, there's a lot of controls that aren't explained, and especially like navigating my recipe book on PC, you just click on the different icons to shift between pages. On the Switch, you have to use the D-pad, and there's really nothing explaining how the D-pad moves you around through the different functions, and it doesn't move intuitively. Like, you think you would just press left and right, or even... If, since you're reading a book, you think you would just press the L and R and the shoulder buttons to switch between pages? No, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. <laughs> and accepting contracts is the worst. My biggest moment of confusion was actually the first thing I had to do in the game. I went down and I opened the mailbox, and I had to press up and down on the D-pad to scroll through the letter I received. And then at the bottom of every letter, you have to sign it to accept it. It took me... A few minutes to figure out how to do that. You have to press left on the D-pad, and that will sign the contract for some reason, because that's just how things have been assigned. Uh, <laughs> it, it's not great. <laughs> I, I hope uh, that this game gets some support to make the controls make a little more sense, or maybe have more on-screen prompts that explain what button I need to press to make certain things happen in the interface, but... 
once I learned what I needed to do, I was able to get through it fairly easily, and time freezes when you're reading things, so there's not much of a penalty in the game past just my own frustration of trying to figure out how to get the interface to do what I want. I did enjoy this game. I enjoyed it more as a puzzle game than as a simulator game, and I do think it's probably going to be a better experience on PC, but I did enjoy it. Cool. Uh, sounds interesting. Uh, obviously not my sort of thing. One of the Another one of those weird uh, simulator games that, that do the rounds. So the next thing we're going to talk about is something I've been playing, uh, which is Kronos Before the Ashes. Uh, it's a day ending in, in Y, so obviously I've been playing Souls-likes. This one is a prequel to a VR game that got middling reviews. Uh, some people liked it, others thought it was a bit shallow. I think this one fared a lot better in reviews. Certainly I'm enjoying it so far. I feel like whenever I've talked about uh, Souls-likes on this, uh, Tori in particular has asked about difficulty and whether you know the, whichever one I've been playing would be a good starting point for the genre. Um, I think this one so far would prove to be a very good starting point, not least because it has difficulty modes, but I, I feel like it's fairly forgiving. The systems don't seem quite as complex as, you know, Dark Souls or even Hellpoint from the other week. The handling, again, like most Souls-likes, feels a lot like Souls. The buttons are in the same place. Movement feels a lot slower, especially movement, which can be a bit frustrating as you navigate. Uh, you end up using your sprint a lot. It's got some really interesting ideas. So the first thing that happens is uh, you get told the legend of the world. There's an evil dragon that, you know, the hero needs to kill. It's all, it's all told beautifully in this great cutscene where it's like a folklore story. Uh, and the next thing you know is your character ends up washed up on an island. Their boat has capsized on the side. You've got your little sword and your wooden shield and you venture off into the island Shortly into that, you realize that you're actually in modern times. So you are in a deserted science facility. Um, there's dead bodies strewn everywhere. There's a giant crystal that's laid down on its side on a platform. Uh, and it's in lockdown, so you can't really interact with very much. Uh, and then eventually you find a computer where you can end the lockdown. And then you can go activate the crystal that you saw before, which is called a world crystal. Uh, and then when that when that's activated, then you can transport to the fantasy world, which is where much of the the dark soulsiness takes place. A couple of things that gave me, in terms of the Souls games, like most Souls likes tend to base themselves on Dark Souls specifically. This one feels a little bit more like Demon Souls, uh, partly because of the handling, also partly uh, because of the way the world crystals work, and there's uh, there's some uh, other bits like uh, you know environmental similarities on on, uh, part of the level design that also is giving me that vibe what it does differently to the souls games is it has a traditional xp system so you will do combat you will accumulate xp points and as long as you don't die you level up pretty quickly uh, and then you can spend those points as soon as you have them available you don't need to do it at a, a world crystal which is is this game's bonfires or anything the other thing that it does really interestingly is its approach to death so every time you die your character will age a year and that has a couple of interesting effects on the gameplay systems when you're you know young and sprightly you will be better at strength 
and certainly your strength stats cost less experience points uh, when you get to assign those but as you get older you'll start to hit the point probably at the age where i am in real life now where i'll, I'll start getting weaker instead your wisdom will increase and that switches the cost of your stats around so then magic will uh, get stronger and cost less whereas your strength stuff will cost more you start the game at age 18 and you can go right up to the ripe old age of 80 uh, you don't die after that but you do max out something so every every time you die 10 times you will unlock a helpful trait so in this game death isn't only about you know teaching you the levels through repetition it's also a way to get certain boosts to help you through i'm still playing with that dark souls mindset of i never want to die in this game ever uh, so i haven't hit that first uh, landmark of, of 10 deaths yet but uh, i look forward to seeing what i unlock when i eventually do because i'm sure it'll come uh, and the other thing it does differently is that the world stones which act as the bonfires again uh, they don't reset your health or the area uh, in terms of enemies only death does you have some interesting choices so if you're about to go tackle a boss do you want to you know keep everything you've got and risk it or do you want to go off and die so you can approach it with uh, all your healing items and everything like that i'm really not that far in but uh, i'm enjoying it so far it's meant to be around a 10 hour game which i'm very happy about because I, I like that we're seeing shorter versions of this action rpg subgenre. The story's a bit more explicit, so I'm kind of enjoying that aspect too. In terms of how it runs on Switch, uh, pretty well. Um, I've had no problems with frame rates or technical problems. It seems to run nicely. It's probably a little blurry. I haven't seen it on other platforms, so I can't really comment on how it looks on those. But uh, certainly nothing that's ringing alarm bells. Really enjoying these uh, these little twists on the formula it's got. Certainly more so... Uh, than the other Souls-likes I've played recently. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty promising. I feel like with uh, Ashen, it, it, you know, that I really enjoyed that, but it had some elements it didn't get quite right. Uh, and with Hellpoint, you know, that was a whole technical mess, which they've promised they'll fix. Uh, and that also, you know, there was a large part of the Souls genre that they either stuck too much to uh, and that sort of hampered it a little whereas this seems to get the balance a little better than those other options so uh, i'll keep you updated on this one early signs very good which is weird because i i think it's not really got as much of the publici publicity as the other ones maybe because it was uh, a spawn off from a, an old vr game yeah so far so good okay andrew you have been playing crash 4 it's about time from memory you had a lot of issues with the archaic nature of the original trilogy that launched on switch uh, either last year or the year before i think it so was three you, years ago now three years ago <laughs> wow what is even time <laughs> which is a fitting gag um you are enjoying this one a lot more i think from seeing socials well it's a more enjoyable game so it's easy to happen that way <laughs> If you've never played the Crash Bandicoot series, especially the classic games, which is, this is more of a sequel to versus the mini Crash Bandicoot reboots that happen starting in the PlayStation 2 era onward, uh, this game takes more after the first three. 
very deliberately so. And there's a thing that happened when uh, polygons became a thing uh, in the 32-bit era. They kind of had to make a decision about what they were going to do with platformers, and kind of the two games that we got out of it was Super Mario 64, which was big and open, and like you had your joystick, you could run in 360 degrees, and then there was Crash Bandicoot, which took the advent of polygons in three dimensions and made it so that way a platformer, in addition to running left and right, could also run forwards and backwards, which did lead to those fantastic chase scenes where you run towards the screen while something is barreling behind you, and those have been in all three games, and they're back in this one as well, and those are still fantastic, still the iconic Crash Bandicoot gameplay, and still the best thing about these games. Uh, Basically, Crash Bandicoot in its original form was a 3D platformer you could play with a D-pad. That's the easiest way to, to think of it, versus... The Super Mario 64 play with a joystick style of platformer that clearly won that competition because that was the standard for 3D platformers going forward from there. Mm-hmm. As Andy said, I I kind of hated the first three Crash Bandicoot games because they were really <laughs> hard and they were still running on an old Extra Life system, and especially in the Insane Trilogy port which was very faithful to what the original games were, extra lives and all, and it's 2019, 2018 when that game came out. We we should have been done with extra lives at that point. But they were still there, and they were just miserable to deal with because I'd get stuck on something hard, and then I would run out of lives, and I would have to go back to the beginning of the level, uh, which was even more aggravating. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and on top of that, the Switch port of the Insane Trilogy, just, it wasn't a good port. Uh, it was visually very bad, and I think Toys for Bob noticed how bad it was because they have gone on to make the Crash Team Racing and the Spiral Reignited Trilogy on Switch as well, and those visually held up much better compared to the Insane Trilogy, and... Crash 4 It's About Time is very much visually in that league of Crash Team Racing and the Spyro Trilogy. Uh, It's not up to the visuals that are on the other platforms, obviously, but I think this holds up very well, and it's a very good representation of what the Switch actually is capable of when you're actually trying, unlike with the Insane Trilogy. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, uh, you posted some comparison shots between the PS4 version and the Switch version in the uh, in our Discord, um, and you know, looking at it, like you could see that the PS4 version was uh, sharper, had more shading, but the Switch version looked great in a different way. Like it's it's as if they decided to take a slightly different artistic approach with it mm-hmm. um, to play to the Switch's strengths rather than you know, which is. We're going to get onto this shortly with Apex Legends, where they they take an existing experience and just try and squash it down as it is and put that on Switch. It seems like they, you know, they've thought about you know how can we make this look the best it can on on this platform, and certainly sounds like they've achieved that. Yeah, it comes down to use of color. I think was the main thing they changed. Uh, it's not cell shading, but it has more of a cell shaded look to it. The the colors are are brighter and pop more on the Switch mm-hmm. version, uh, which compensates for the lower shadow effects. But mm-hmm. really, once I start, sat down and was playing the game, I 
really didn't notice, to be honest. But um, that's that's how it should work on the Switch. Like we talked about that in a lot of the games that have been visually compromised. It's like yes, you can see it, but once you're playing it, you don't even notice. Like mm-hmm. Witcher Three, I think, is the best example of that. Absolutely. Um, Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, introduces a modern mode, which removes the extra lives, which uh, I'm sure accounts for 90 to 100% of the fact that I'm enjoying this game as much more than I am the the Insane Trilogy. There is an option to play in the classic mode with the extra lives. I don't know why you would do that to yourself, but I guess if you're an old Crash Bandicoot fan and you've just internalized the abuse that extra lives inflict upon you, you (laughs) have at you. Go forth and have fun torturing yourself. This game kicks off with Neocortex, Entropy, and Uka Uka, who are the villains of the first three games, who are all trapped in this time singularity at the end of Crash 3, break out of that prison, and it explicitly says they've been in there for 10 years, and finally they break out, and that messes with time all across the dimension, so uh, Crash and his sister have to go out into different time periods around the world uh, to set things right. And so far I've gone from like the basic Crash Bandicoot Island at the start of the game, and then I was also in a future dystopia area, which I think was an area from Crash 3, and now I'm in a pirate area in 1717. So a lot of different time zones you can go to. And the big new thing in this game is the quantum masks, and these only appear in certain segments in each level. And by pressing a button, I can shift between quantum zones, kind of like an Ant-Man situation where you just put quantum in front of everything. (laughs) You can see, like, platforms and things that you need to interact with are, are... out of phase basically and by pressing a button you can bring it in phase but the thing that you're standing on is probably going to shift out of phase when you do that so you basically have to keep you have to jump and you have to shift and then when you land on the thing then you have to jump again and shift it back back and forth back and forth like that there's a lot of platforming puzzles like that to keep things fresh and interesting every level has a certain number of goals that i need to accomplish and i can earn gems by doing that i get a gem for earning 40, 60, and 80% of all the Wumpa fruit in the level. I can get a gem for earning 100% of the crates. I get a gem for finishing the level uh, with dying three or fewer times. And there's also a hidden gem in every level. So if I find all six of those gems, or I I earn all six of those gems, and I unlock a new costume uh, for my characters in that. So there's a, a real incentive to keep replaying the levels and really build up your skill at them. And I enjoyed that. Um, uh, interesting factoid, my uh, wife's uh, people's language, which is Pijinjara, uh, Wumpa means old lady. Just to <laughs> put that little nugget in there for you. <laughs> interesting. Uh, I wasn't really going to talk about that, but yeah, the Crash Bandicoot games does have a lot of um, Australian baggage in it, and it's portrayal <laughs> of certain things. So, but I, I, I really don't know anything about this stuff, so I wasn't going to talk about it. But <laughs> there's the Simpsons episode where Lisa's off sick and she gets addicted to a fake Crash Bandicoot game that has the actual <laughs> music from Crash Bandicoot, which always made me laugh. Yeah, that's a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where was I? Um, okay, there's also a time trial medal you can earn. After you finish the level, then you unlock the time trial mode. You can replay it. You can earn the time trial medal. I have no idea what that unlocks. 
And then there's also flashback tapes, uh, which unlock these little side missions. One of them I had to do, it was a level where I had to bounce across a pit with crates that were suspended above it. So I had to move perfectly between each crate to make it across the entire level. It was it was a pretty interesting situation that I wouldn't encounter in a, a regular crash level. So those, those are pretty cool, too. <laughs> it, it just seems like overall a good port of a good game. And... All I really want now is Toys for Bob to do the same thing they've done with the Crash games. They've made like a fourth, like a sequel to the first three games, ignoring all the reboots that happened in between. I want them to do that with Spyro now because I love Spyro. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally down for a Spyro 4 if Toys for Bob wants to make it. Oh, that's cool. That uh, that sounds like a really good port and a better evolution of the Crash system than uh, we've mm-hmm. previously seen so yeah if you're like me and you hated the first three crash bandicoot games i actually did enjoy this one so <laughs> you might want to check it out yeah, i've got that problem where my only experience with crash is through the demo of the first level of the original and never anything else i've never felt that attached to the series or anything so yeah uh, well that, that's positive uh on to something a little bit more mixed which we'll jump right into which is an action you do in these games as well. Uh, Apex Legends uh, launched on Switch this week. Uh, This is EA's Battle Royale that's kind of set in the uh, Titanfall universe. This one's a bit interesting because it mixes the ethoses, like in Fortnite and in PUBG, you kind of jump in as a, a nothing nobody and then you express yourself through the cosmetics you can buy and unlock. And um, In this one, it's got like the the hero setup where it has predefined characters that you you choose from and you can unlock those through the different progression systems um i don't want to get into all the progression systems in this because i haven't really delved into it at all that much uh but we will talk about the game itself so um i had a look a, a brief look at some of the reviews during the rounds and they were all pretty negative but they all seem to stem from this doesn't run as well as other platforms I haven't played Apex Legends on any other platform before, and I thought it was okay, um, especially performance-wise. It just seems if you've been playing it on PS4 or PC, you're gonna have a you might have a bit more of a miserable experience. That said, I find reviews of Switch ports that have to state this doesn't run as well as other platforms to be the most boring uh, criticism that you can make of a port on on Switch. But you know. I guess it's unavoidable. People want to know how these things run. My experience has been pretty good. Like it, it ran a lot better than I thought it would. It runs better than some of the uh, the other similar free to play shooters on the Switch. So I'm thinking Warface. Like I enjoyed that, but it was it definitely had problems at launch. I haven't been back recent enough to tell you if they've been fixed. The worst it seems to run is when you're you've just dropped and you're falling towards the the map and it looks a bit blurry there but once i've hit the ground i've had no problems with it i've been able to see enemies at a distance i don't feel like it's held me back at all now andrew i don't think you you played much of this but you did jump in a couple of times did you have any uh complaints with it with the the running or the visuals i thought it ran fine but i only played very briefly, uh, just up front. So you, you shouldn't even listen to me on that. My my input on this matter is completely meaningless. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't think it handled well. Like I, I played Titanfall 2 and it felt 
fairly similar to Titanfall 2, and Titanfall 2 is fairly well regarded among M- among FPS fans for how it handles, and it felt similar. Like, uh, I thought it handled well, the controls made sense, I really liked the ping system, where you, yes. can communi- you can communicate a lot of different ways just by pressing the right shoulder button, which I think is clever. And, like, you can slide down hills, and that'll make you go faster while you're sliding, and you can, like, shoot and fire while you're sliding. Clever stuff. I, I-, I think it's interesting how you can interact with this world. Uh, I didn't play it handheld at all. I also looked at some of the reviews. That seems to be where most of the problems are is playing in handheld, which is where it looks better visually, but it seems to chug more. And chugging, mm-hmm. obviously, does not help you in an online competitive shooter. The reviews I said also strongly recommended just turning off crossplay. Simple enough to do in an option menu, then you're on level ground with everybody else. They're probably going to be chugging just as much as you are, so... Mm-hmm. I left on crossplay. I haven't experienced any deaths where I felt that it was unfair or anything. Mm. Um, I, I did want to talk about that that ping system a bit because one of the reasons that I haven't delved into Apex Legends on other platforms is because the teamwork aspects like that that put me right off. Yeah, um, that was why I quit. Um, yeah, because <laughs> like I was like I found look for a solo queue. Like you can queue solo and it'll stick you in a team. I don't want to be on a team. And like and the first thing that happened in the game was I got to be drop leader. I was like, I've never played this game before. I don't know where to drop. <laughs> don't make me drop leader. And the other thing was uh, on some of the bad teams, I'm going to get into this in a second, but on one of the bad teams, the drop leader kept dropping us into hotspots, which is not fun yeah. when you're inexperienced. I'd rather drop on the outskirts and work my way through. The teamwork stuff is the thing that I thought would put me off playing, but it's actually now the thing that i like about it but it's kind of reliant on luck as to whether i get a good team or not so another battle royales i tend to play solo so PUBG, which i you know i have spells on that you know i'll play for a couple of weeks and drop it Uh, you know you go solo you die you die that's it what i like about this is that if you have team focus friends they you know if you're downs they will come and help you get off your knees or they can collect your beacon from your corpse and then take you to a replication center and actually respawn you which have had happened to me a couple of times the ping system is great like there's lots of different ways to use it you can point out where you're attacking you can point out enemies you can point out interesting directions you can point out loot that you think people might want which is cool it's also got this whole communication system through the characters so you can thank them for things uh which i thought was cool i, I thanked a bunch of people for you know getting me up when i was down after they fought off the attackers now, if you're in a team-focused group, so like the first three matches were were bad because I, like, there's a lot going on on the screen at any one time. I thought the tutorial was rubbish at teaching you how to play it, other than you know what the buttons do. But once I got into a decent team of teammates that stuck together, like if I was lagging, they'd, they'd actually turn around and make sure I was with them, sort of thing. Like you know, proper team-focused players. Um, I've had an absolute blast, and that has played out in like the way the firefights play out trying to think of a like like for like experience but the closest i would put it would be like uh halo uh firefights which i would play with real life friends when i was back in england um it sort of took me a bit back to that because uh they they play out really nicely use of covers good you know you're you're helping each other out in in combat then you've also got the way your your character's special skills can help your team as well so like there's the one that can heal there's a lot of different mechanics at play which are are fun when they're used properly and when you're with a team that want to work together. 
but you know for every match i've had like that i've had one where they've all separated instantly and you're just sort of left on your own and they're treating it like a solo battle royale which kind of sucks because you know you got no way of helping yourself if you're under pressure and you get ganked by a, a team of three for me uh, i'm I think I'm definitely going to keep it on my Switch. I'll probably uninstall uh, Warface uh, and then I'll use this instead for, you know, like if I'm in between games or there's a night where I don't want to get into anything meaty, I can just play some Shooty Bang Bang and uh, have some fun that way. If I was to decide to play it consistently, I would probably do that on another platform. I'd probably look at PS5 or, or PC for that. But I think it does a lot of interesting things and the fact that I tend to play these games completely solo and it was actually the teamwork thing that has enamored me to it is a complete uh, blindside <laughs> for me. I was not expecting that at all. So interested, I'll probably play some more on Switch initially and then, you know, see how it runs on, on other platforms uh, and then I can become one of those people that talk down about the port. I would guess you're in the same place so you just you just feel like you haven't got time for it at the moment. Well, uh, playing it on a 4K TV, I could really see the visual compromises and i just didn't want to play a team shooter right now or mm-hmm. ever really and like I, I got a kill like right off but then i couldn't find any ammo so i i died i couldn't defend myself and i felt i felt like that was unfair <laughs> like mm-hmm. <laughs> uh I would just play Fortnite. If I was going to play a Battle Royale on Switch, I would just play Fortnite. This doesn't seem worth it on this platform. Like, I'm glad EA tried. Uh, I'm glad EA is trying, at least. But <laughs> this is a miss for me. Uh, I think it'll get support. Uh, and I, I, I definitely, like, mechanically and in terms of goals, I'd rather play this than, than Fortnite, I think. But, yeah, it depends what you're looking for. And if if you'd rather just, like, you know, worry about yourself and look after yourself in in this sort of game. Then you know, there there are other games that do that better. So, one thing I was surprised at though was uh, I wasn't expecting it to look like Borderlands. I really saw that in the FMV that plays when you boot the game up, and then when I got mm-hmm. into the game, uh, that effect was not there anymore. That lighting effect that really made it look like Borderlands. <laughs> Honestly, I wondered if that was going to be their way around the, you know, the visual fidelity, like just make it look different, um, as <sighs> similar to what we were talking about with Crash. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it does. It's uh, a panic button port, and you kind of know what you're getting usually with panic button. So that's uh, Apex Legends. It, it does work. I think your enjoyment's going to depend on entirely if you've played it before, and if you're into the multiplayer and teamwork aspects that it brings to the table uh, in comparison to the its uh, its rivals so um oh the other thing we didn't talk about was uh, progress on bravely default 2 i think you're into chapter 2 now or beyond i am into chapter 2 now cool uh i had a, a week so i didn't really get to play it as much as i wanted um i have just beaten the beastmaster the the short blast that i've had i've been you know grinding a lot because i haven't had the time to sit and go through the story as much as i wanted which is great for my job progress uh great for my character level progress but not good for (laughs) my enjoyment of the story or anything like that the one thing that has been doing me well through that sort of vibe though has been that boat system that we talked about last week where you send uh, a boat off uh you know a passive equivalent of street pass and it'll bring you back items a lot of the items you get are job point 
orbs and they are really useful for just sort of like getting you over the line or quickly getting a, a new job uh into a useful state yeah i think that's a brilliant system and it's it's just sort of something that's helping me uh speed up my playthrough even though i'm you know i'm, I'm taking a long time because of uh ocd or whatever so <laughs> so are you still enjoying it so far yeah, I'm still enjoying it. I don't use the job point orbs though because I uh, I have everybody's jobs lined up now, so they all mm-hmm. level up at the exact same time, and I don't want the orbs to <laughs> throw that off. So <laughs> I I was trying to do that, but because I've got the jobs kind of out of sequence, I'm I'm stuck now. So I'll, I'll just roll with it. I've maxed out enough that I'm actually gonna you know bother leveling out the. Uh, the Beastmaster, because I, I had no interest in that as a class before, but, you know, I may as well have one character leveled up in that ability, eh? Well, I've leveled up a couple jobs to Mastery now, and I found I'm just equipping the jobs, but I'm still using my characters as black mages and white mages and just regular mm-hmm. damage dealers. I'm really not paying much attention to the abilities on the other jobs I'm unlocking, which is maybe not saying the best about the game's design utility as far as the usefulness of the skills or like even playing on hard i'm I'm just brute forcing my way through the game with basic attacks uh, i'm waiting for something that can cause paralysis so i can uh kill one of those wiki wiki things oh yeah i got close they, on one but i still haven't managed to kill one of those they are annoying and they're, they're basically the uh you know the metal slimes of this yeah. game <laughs> yeah okay so that's uh that's the end of the show Okay, Andrew, what are you going to be playing in the coming week? Uh, with any luck, I'll be playing Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning next week. Cool. Uh, I've got my copy arriving. I I will play the start for, so we can chat about it next week. Uh, I cannot commit to beating it at the moment because I imagine it's going to be a you know multi-million hour <laughs> RPG. Um, and I've got other stuff I want to finish first before I tackle that. But I've heard nothing but good things. My wife played it. I know she liked it. Uh, back back in the day it's a 30 hour game yeah i i I look forward to to jumping into it okay that's weird how long to beat says the original game is 31 and a half hours and it says the re-reckoning re-release is 19 and a half hours interesting that's bizarre completionist for the original is 104 hours completionist for re-reckoning is 82 and a half hours <laughs> this does not make any sense but okay yeah, that's weird isn't Maybe it the same game i whatever have they condensed <laughs> systems or something to make leveling up easier or something i don't know 20 hours faster apparently <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to episode 145 of the end focus podcast if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and The Power of X. They're for PlayStation and Xbox, respectively. Make sure to check out our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. And you can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows and the network, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. Details for both of these things are on our website. Thanks in advance. 
This episode was edited by Andrew. Uh, you can follow him at Play Critically on Twitter, and you can read his long-form reviews over at playcritically.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Toast, and you can also follow our absentee co-host, Tori. Uh, she's at Stew2, that's S-T-W-T-W-O. Find and devour the seven crystal babies, or spend eternity trapped in deep didgeridoo! <laughs>